Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Well, it's Mother's Day, and in this room, there's just a mess of emotions. That one should have come with tissue warnings, shouldn't it? Yeah, like, Mom, break out the tissues. But, you know, over the years, I have... uh, I've come to realize that Mother's Day is one of those days that is so overloaded with emotion and expectation that really it it just can't be met. So earlier this week, I had a great conversation with a church member, and she sent me a few things that I thought were so good that I just had to share them with you on this Mother's Day. For those of you who gave birth this year to your first child, we celebrate you. How cool. To those of you that lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those of you who are in the trenches with little ones and wear the food stains and the throw up in your hair to prove it, we appreciate you. For those of you this year that have experienced loss through miscarriage or failed adoptions or running away, we mourn with you too. To those who walk in the hard path of infertility, fraught with the pokes and the prods and the never-ceasing trips to the doctor. We walk with you, but ask you to forgive us when we say things that we just are trying to say to be kind, but we don't know what to say. To those of you who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you, and we bless you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, God bless you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their moms, we grieve with you. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life didn't turn out the way you thought it might. But bless you and give you hope that tomorrow will always be brighter in the love of Christ. To those who are step-parents here, we walk with you on eggshells in that complex life. To those of you who have envisioned lavishing love on a grandchild, but that hasn't happened yet, we pray with you and look forward to the day we celebrate with you. To those of you who have an emptier nest in the upcoming year, we rejoice with you. (laughs) To those of you who have placed children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those of you that are pregnant with new life, expected and surprising, We anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, is it? I don't know that there's a greater heartache on a Mother's Day in particular for a woman who wants and longs to nurture a child and have a child but couldn't have a child. I've seen it up close, and it's it's burdensome and hard and it seems like the rest of us that went on and had babies and children we forgot about you at times and don't remember the the darkest days that come with that 
Such was the case with a lady in Scripture today by the name of Hannah. Hannah wanted a son. She longed for a son, couldn't wait to have a son. And it, and it was this circumstance in Hannah's life that led her to a most unique prayer found in Scripture. If you've got your app and you can open up the sermon notes, you'll find that in 1 Samuel, in the, New, in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel in chapter 1, Hannah begins this storied journey. But I want you to recognize that even in those circumstances that I may have missed in those notes, I, I want you to know well, there's no way we could probably catch everybody, but I am keenly aware that on this day, like no other, it, we have a bevy of, of emotions and expectations in the room. Ten years ago, this Mother's Day, was when we buried my first wife. And my two biological daughters will forever hate Mother's Day, even though now they are mothers. It comes with a lot of emotion. It is, it is loaded. It is fraught with concern and heartache. And that was the condition that Hannah found herself in. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we begin to read in, in verse 10, and here's what it says. And she, speaking of Hannah, was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow. She made a promise. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. Does that sound familiar to you? Is the story of Samson ring a bell? No razor upon his head. What, what she is about to make is a promise in this text that you see on the screen. Listen to what she said, and she made this vow. She made this promise. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you'll look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he's been dedicated to the Lord, his hair, he will never be cut. Now, you may be saying, that is just weird. And I would agree, dude, just don't do that. Right? But, but she was literally making a promise for him, a Nazarite vow that typically lasted till someone was 50 years of age. But she didn't leave a limit on it. She said, I'm going to promise you, Lord, that my boy will be yours for his lifetime. Now, to understand what she, this promise she's making, she's not making some, some lighthearted promise. Hey, God, if, if you do this, I'll do this. What she's saying is, Lord, I know you're going to honor your part. I've come before the God of the host of the armies of all of heaven. I've come to the creator of the universe. I've brought to you my broken heart. I've brought to you my deepest desire. I've brought to you that which has hurt me so much, and I bring this to you. And I ask you, would, would you honor this? And when you do... I will surrender him, but watch this. You cannot give away what you do not promise. Does that sound right? No, you can't give away that which you do not possess. You can't give away what you don't possess. Listen, Hannah was saying, Lord, I want to surrender me to you 
And because my surrender now can be shared, I want to surrender my son that I know you're going to hear me. I know you're going to answer me. And I want to tell you, God, knowing you're going to answer me, I'm going to offer my son. And this promise she's making is not about his hair. That was simply a crown that he was wearing. She was saying, I'm going to surrender him. And the literal term is that I'm going to allow him to live separately from the world so that his heart and his mind and his soul is all of yours. I'm going to teach him that he honor you in all that he does and he'll be separated and different from what the world wants him to be. And I'm making this promise knowing that you will honor that. And Hannah comes together and makes this promise to God. Hannah gives her son to God. Literally, I want him to be separated for you. God, I want him to be there for you. I don't know about you, but I have had some unbelievably difficult times parenting children. Y'all are not easy. As a matter of fact, you're a pain in the neck. We love you for some unknown reason because you cost us a fortune. You exacerbate every problem we have, and yet we adore you and we'll do anything for you. It defies all logic especially at your age. You're like at the height of being a pain in the neck. But we love you. How crazy is that, right? I mean, we love you. I've had parents come in and they've tell, told me just the horrendous stories they're going through with children and adolescents, and I've given them this wonderfully encouraging news. It's only going to get worse when they turn 20. But she came knowing God would make a promise, and she said, I want you to know God. I'm going to set him aside as a priest. I'm going to set him aside. He'll be a Levite priest. He will, not, he will never be a part of the world. He will always be yours. But remember, she couldn't give away what she did not possess. She could not surrender her son to the Lord until she had surrendered to the Lord. I'll have parents say sometimes, I wish my kid would come to church. And my next answer was, how often do you come? I wish my kid would have a prayer life. I wish my kid would read his Bible every day. Here's my question. How, how many times do they see you read your Bible? How many times have you done that? I, every time when we get in the car, we do the strangest thing we head out on a trip. Everybody gets their seatbelts on, and then we pray out loud. You know who I did that? My dad did that. When I was a kid, I'll never forget getting in those big old honking station wagons. I mean, this is like pre-seatbelt days, right, where you could crawl in the back and lay down on top of the luggage. If somebody would have hit us, we, I'd have been dead. I mean, it's unbelievable. They, they, you had to have like a captain's license to drive these land yachts we used to drive, right? And we would get in there, and everybody would get in the car, you know, and my sisters were already starting to argue about don't come across that line, you know? And, and, and so literally, we'd get ready, and Dad would stop everything, and he'd say, let's pray. And now at 55, when I get in the car, you know what we do? We stop and we pray. You know why we pray? I saw my dad do it. Parent, it, it, your, your kid's going to always make some goofy decisions. That's why they're kids. I mean, let's face it. I mean, kids do dumb stuff. I mean, if, if you don't believe it, look back at your childhood. I mean, seriously, I'm so grateful my kids didn't learn everything I did as a kid. Because when I look at their life now, I think they are angels. I should have been dead at least five times. And yet somehow Hannah said, Lord, I've surrendered me, and because I can give that away, I'm going to surrender 
my child. You might be in here today and say, man, I wish my mom would have done that. Do you know what? You, you don't have to wait for somebody to do it for you. You choose. She, she could only surrender Samuel because she had already surrendered herself. Maybe some of us here today, we need to stop and say, I don't have anybody to give, but I can give me. You see, before she, before she had a son, she had to surrender herself. I mean, this extreme promise is unbelievable. She gave her son to serve. I mean, we say that around here all the time. It's a big deal when we serve people in the name of Jesus. But the fact is, don't you love it? Or don't you love to be around people who want to serve? Who want to get, get involved in other? I'm so grateful we've got a student ministry who leads students to serve. I'm so grateful that every time I turn around, Tripp's leading our kids to go do something that makes a difference. Every time I see something, you may see something that says it's a, a dance party on Wednesday night, but the purpose behind it is so that we might have opportunity to serve, to make a difference in the lives of these young people. I'm so grateful we've got a student ministry that does that week after week after week after week, leading kids to serve. Some of these kids right here, they're leading your families in prayer and in Bible study and in evangelism and in service, waiting for you to. They're wanting to surrender their life, begging us that we would surrender. She comes together and she says she gave her son to serve. Church, listen up. The mark of a great church is not how many people are sitting in here, but how many people are serving out there. But you can't serve until you surrender. You can't give away something that you don't have. If you're not a servant, you're not going to serve well. If you haven't surrendered, you're not going to lead other people to. You see, too often we think surrenders when we cower down and we wave a white flag and we give up, when literally the Bible pictures that surrender is more like this. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Surrendering is the recognition I can't do this alone. If you're a single parent here today and life is absolutely beating the dog out of you, surrender because you don't have to do it alone. He is here and his church is here. And you can surrender but you don't have to surrender and cower it. You can surrender with hands up to say, Lord, I need you. And he will hear and answer that cry. She also gave him to worship, though. I mean, look with me over in 1 Samuel and, uh, in chapter 1, and look at verse 26. And she said again, Hannah, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. Look what the scripture says here. Now look at verse 28. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And look at that last line. And they worship the Lord there. I listen to these kids scream and, and carry on when, I, when one of their own gets baptized. And I think to myself, man, why don't we do that? I see these kids get all jacked up and excited when a worship song happens. And I look around at their moms and dads and think, what in the world? Thank God they're leading the way in worship in the life of our church. I mean, I want you to get this picture that Hannah brought her son to the Lord, not just to make a promise to the Lord, not just to ask the Lord to honor it, but she came and she taught him to serve. But watch what she really did that changed the course and the trajectory of his life. She taught him as a young boy how to worship. Now, it's interesting to me that Scripture doesn't say that they were in the middle of a church service. Scripture doesn't say that what they did is they brought him to church and they gave him to a class and the class taught him how to worship. 
They didn't say they gave him to a youth pastor. They didn't didn't say they, they gave him to a group leader. They didn't say they gave him to the priest. She brought him in together. The mom and the boy, they came together and worshiped. Could I just say to you that I believe Monday through Saturday, the tone of that week is set by your heart of worship today. The tone of what your week looks like in your home, the tone of what looks like in the relationships with your family, with your friends, at your work, on the tennis court, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, is set by the heart and the tone of your worship. She brought Samuel together and said, we will worship. Now, here's here's what's amazing about this passage. It's not Eli that's worshiping. It's It's not the priest. It's a boy and his mom. And that little boy is being taught how to worship. I remember I was, a, I was a kid. My dad, we were at First Baptist Church in Daytona Beach, Florida. And I'm talking about, we're talking about a seriously, seriously traditional church. I'm talking maxed out robes and pipe organs. And I mean, dude, you dress to go to church, man. I mean, some of you grew up in that church, right? I did. And, and I, I'll never forget, man, I was sitting in the back of the church. And, and I thought I was so unbelievably cool. I knew everything because I was about 12. Because at 12, I mean, the only thing you don't know is how cool you're going to be at 17. But you, at 12, like, you know everything, right? So I am sitting back there and making planes with the bulletin. Like I, by the way, do you know how many of y'all leave the bulletin behind on the floor and the one note you've written to your parent or to your spouse is this, what are we eating for lunch today? Thanks for taking notes. That's awesome. But I was back there fiddling around, and I don't know how it happened. I'll have no idea how this happened. But out of the corner of my eye, I was pretty sure I saw mom. And in just a flash, it was mom. And at 12, being very cool, I went to being the most uncool human on the planet. Because when mom grabbed you by the wrist, it was serious business. And I mean, seriously, it was fear ran through my veins. And mom escorted me, not so gently, out into the foyer of that majestic old sanctuary. And there she looked down at me, and when she grabbed the cheeks like this, now first of all, I got some cheeks, right? I mean, when you grab those bad boys, it's like getting like a Wendy's triple cheeseburger. It just all comes out. She grabbed hold of those cheeks, and I'll never forget, she looked at me, and she said, Chucky, are you in the house of God? Or are you at SNS cafeteria? Because when you're in the house of God, you better act like it, son. And I will never forget my mom making a big deal about worship. You know, I went back in there, and you would you like to take a guess at who I sat with? Mom. You know what I really feared? What was coming at lunch with dad. The problem was dad was preaching. Not cool. When dad said, hey, can you tell me what I was preaching on today? Are you with me? My folks made a big deal about worship. You know why I worship freely today? I saw my dad worship freely. You know why I pray at night with my wife? I, I heard my parents pray. Church, listen to me. If if we want to make America a better place, 
this is not about whether you elect a Republican or a Democrat. Listen, if we want to make America a better place, make your heart a better place. You want to make America better, make your home a better place. You want to make America better, bring Christ into the worship of your home so that Monday through Saturday, the tone of your worship here carries on the rest of the week. Samuel knew it. Hannah first gave herself to God. She first gave herself to God. Look back over in chapter 2 in verses 1. This is Hannah's prayer. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And Hannah prayed and said, and she's praying, and I imagine, I'm imagining Hannah praying out loud. And she says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. I mean, look at what she says. My heart rejoices in the Lord. Then the Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. This Bible is a home in Christian standard. And what it says is, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. What that literally means is my strength, my power, the flow of blood in my life, the urging in my soul, deep down the real me. I know you are my strength. You are my source. You are my power. And look at verse 2. No one is holy like the Lord. There's no one beside you. There's no rock like our God. Jesus told the story of two men who built a house. You remember the story. One built it on a rock. One built it on the sand. And then the rains came down. And as the rains came down, the floods came up. And as the rains came down, the floods came up. And the house on the sand washed away. And the house on the rock, what did it do? It stood firm. Hannah is really preaching and teaching and praying and serving and worshiping, telling us, build our life on the rock, the rock Jesus Christ. Get right with God through a relationship with Jesus so that the rest of your life, it's on solid foundation. You may be here today and say, Chuck, I did all the right things and my kids still went off the rails. That happened to me some. Man, I've gone through seasons as a parent where I just thought, what on earth did I do wrong? How could they have done something so silly? How could they have done something so stupid? How could they have made that decision? Are you ready? Listen, I want to help everybody. Because they're human. But you know, Scripture is pretty clear. If you build on the rock, someday they'll return to it. You never give up. You never stop. You never look backward because you're not going in that direction. You're moving forward. I mean, that only happens when we build it intentionally. Godly homes, godly parents, godly children, they don't just happen. There's an intentionality that puts God in the forefront of all we do. One of the things that that is most fun for me is to pray out loud for our daughters. I can't tell you how many mornings I spend in the car praying out loud as if I were on a Bluetooth call with God, asking God that he would guard them and measure them and hold them. So maybe you're here today and uh, you say, well, how can I be a mom or a dad? How can I be a leader in my home who trusts God with my children? How do I make a commitment to lead my kids, to lead my family, to lead my spouse, to be, have this kind of relationship where I could say like Hannah did, I'm going to surrender myself and then I'm going to surrender my family. Do you, did you see the order? You've got to first surrender yourself. You cannot give away what you don't possess. 
So today, the challenge for you and I is, can, can you trust God with your children? And the answer is, only if you can trust God with you. I had a fellow in my office a few weeks ago, and he came in and sat down, and he said, man, listen, my kids just made some awful decisions. The kids are with him. And his dad is going through the most, he's telling me the story about the, the most crazy things his kid's done. And I'm sitting there just in amazement, looking at his kid, I'm thinking, man, he's a good-looking dude. I mean, what in the world? And then, then, then the story got better when he said, you know, we, me and his mom, we all haven't always set as good of an example as we could. And I said, man, I get that. Neither have I. But there comes a time where you've got to draw a line in the sand and say, I surrender all, and I'm going to give myself so that I can teach my child how he can. I'm going to teach my child how to worship to set the tone for his life. Can you trust God with your children? Well, only if you can trust God with your life. Well, let me ask you this, Church. Can I, can, you lead, can I lead my children to serve God? Only if you do. Well, let me ask you this, Chuck. Can, can I lead my children to worship God? Only if you do. Well, Chuck, that's, that's a pretty tall tale. You know what I mean? Uh, but you can if you build your relationship, your life on the rock. You see, it always comes down to this. No matter what the situation or what the challenge in, in your relationships, maybe you're here and you're married or maybe you're here and you're single. Maybe you're here and you have kids. Maybe you're here and you don't. Maybe you had kids and you don't have them around anymore. Maybe your grandparents or even great-grandparents. At the end of the day, it boils down to this. Until our personal lives are right with God vertically, we will never be right horizontally with anybody else. We'll, we'll never have a healthy, happy marriage until we're both right with God. We'll never lead our kids well. We'll never be able to lead them to serve, never lead them to pray, never lead them to worship until our heart is right before God and we do the same. So I'd ask you today, maybe you're a teenager and you're the spiritual leader in your home because there's nobody else. Then it's your time to step up and lead. Maybe you're here today and you're brokenhearted because you want children. Then all I would say to you this is don't stop waiting on God. Don't stop being open to what God may want to do. When I heard the Hopkins story and I heard the Smith story and I watched that video, I thought there was a family that could have settled and said, we're good, but said, man, this is a big deal. God's literally picked us up and brought us to these children and brought these children to us. And they're fulfilling one of the most beautiful Great Commission calls in the world. But in your case... Have you taken the time to get right with God? And you say, well, how do, I don't know how to get right with God. It starts with this, surrender. Jesus, I need you. Come forgive me my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. That's why we say Jesus is the biggest deal because he is the only way we get right before God. And the only way we lead our family is when we're right vertically. Now we have a prayer to be right horizontally. Join me as we pray heads by it and with eyes closed. Listen, my friend, maybe today is your day to say, I want to get right with God. I want to choose Jesus. I, I want to get in a position where I can lead my family. I want to lead my family to serve. I want to lead my family in a promise to God. I want to lead my family to worship. Then to do so, get right with God today and say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life and take charge. Forgive me my sin. Accept the fact that he died for you. He rose from the dead for you. 
choose to live for him, make a U-turn with your life and stop living for you and start living for him. And that's how we get right with God so that we might be right with everything else, including our family. So Father, do what only you can do and draw people unto yourself. For folks in this room who said they wanna get right with you today, do what you always do and honor your promise to hear them and answer them. You promised you would call on the name of the Lord, you would hear us and save us. And so I pray that across this room, as people have done that, they are beginning even now to feel like they're a part of your family, that they get to sit at the big boy table with God, their creator, creator, and to be right in his eyes because they're right with Jesus. And now we can be right with our family. So God, lead us to serve, lead us to pray, lead us to promise, and lead us to worship. In the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.